Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come check us out one Sunday. Our service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary316.tv. I do hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and genuine way. Before we get to the topic at hand, one of the most important aspects of our show is our desire to connect with you, the listening audience. If you have any questions about something said on the show, if you want to challenge an opinion you didn't like, if you would like to just generally submit topics you'd like me to address in future episodes, literally, nothing is off limits. There are several ways that you can reach me. First, uh, our website is outlawradio.org, outlawradio.org. Our email address is info at outlawradio.org. If you're into Facebook, check us out, facebook.com slash theradiooutlaw. And aside from that, we're on Twitter. At least we're still on Twitter. Who knows, by the time you hear this episode, we might be banned like everyone else uh, that has an honest and real and raw new opinion. (laughs) Find us on Twitter at radio underscore outlaw, at radio underscore outlaw. Again, we like to discuss things that are relevant, things that often Christians by and large Uh, like to avoid. And I can think of no topic people prefer to avoid more than the topic of abortion. Recently was invited uh, to visit a pregnancy center gala fundraiser, and I heard a guy uh, that spoke on this particular topic, and I thought to myself, this guy needs to be on the Outlaw Radio Show. I'd like to welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show a new friend of mine. His name is Ryan, and it's Bomberger. Is that correct? You got it. I got to tell you right up front that that is the coolest last name ever. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they call us the bomb burger. I used to be a youth pastor for years. So, you know, it works as a kid. I, you know, I was wondering cause it sounds like hamburger and cheeseburger, whatever else, but it's, it's bomb burger. So you run an organization called the radiance foundation. That's correct. That is correct. Now, before we get specifically to what you guys do and why I think it's so incredibly important, Um, I want to take just a few minutes and have you just kind of tell the audience, many of which probably have never heard of you or the Radiance Foundation, I want you to tell the audience about yourself. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to hear you speak recently, and your story, um, you're a child of adoption, the unique story, family legacy of the Bombergers, et cetera. It sets such a, a fascinating context to what you do that can you just take a few minutes and just kind of tell the audience that knows nothing about you who you are, and kind of your backstory. Absolutely. I think one of the first questions that comes to people's minds when they hear me speak about um, the various issues that I speak about is, wait, what motivates you? And when I speak about the fundamental issue of life, of course, as a man, people question, why is a guy talking about abortion? Which to me is (laughs) crazy, because we're 50% of the biological equation, so every guy should talk about abortion. But I'm particularly passionate about it and you could say it just kind of runs in my blood. Literally, the the reason that I exist is the reason that's used 100% of the time to justify abortion. So my birth mom was courageous enough to choose life despite experiencing the the horror and the violence of rape. And so here I am, that fringe example that even pro-lifers have a hard time, uh, you know, embracing. And yet, I was conceived in rape, and yet my value is no less than than anyone else. And so that's how my life started. And because of a courageous birth mom, not only did she choose life for me, but she also gave me the incredible gift of adoption. So I grew up in a tiny little family of 15, and I have six brothers, (laughs) six sisters. And, you know, just, you know, your typical American family, I have nine other siblings who were adopted. So my parents had three children first, their biologically related children, and then I was the first adopted. And so year after year, another child, another flavor was added to the family. And I mean, you look at us and you wouldn't know, you're hearing me, you don't know what I look like. I'm, I'm brown. I'm, I'm half white, half black, um, biracial. I have a num- number of other siblings who are biracial. I put that in quotes, of course, because we're just one human race anyway. But we're white, we're black, we're Native American, Vietnamese, 
some of us were adopted as as newborns, some as toddlers, some as teens out of the foster care system, and some have physical disabilities, learning disabilities. And this is what I've, I've learned in the family that I grew up in, that we all have special needs, and those special needs are to love and to be loved. And we were loved like crazy. My my parents, Henry and Andrea Bomberger, uh, loved the mess out of all of us on a little farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And so that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. And my wife, Bethany, the love of my life, uh, she and I started the Radiance Foundation 10 years ago. Actually, this is our 10-year anniversary with the Radiance Foundation. And we started it to equip people to talk about culture shifting culture shaping issues and so back in 2009 we started the radiance foundation to be able to creatively illuminate that every human life has purpose and so part of the the radiance foundation is based on my own story of adoption but it's also based on my my wife's story she was a single mom for two years and i came into their lives at that point and but she was a single mom for two years she faced the same fear and confusion that a lot of young women uh, facing an unplanned pregnancy um, face, and yet she never considered abortion, but the pressure on her, especially as a as a teacher, as an educator, to abort was unbelievable. So the Radiance Foundation really was birthed out of her story, and our oldest daughter's name is Radiance. We call her Ray Ray. And so that's where the name that's comes amazing. from, and it, it comes from my adoption story, and it really just illuminates that that we are all stronger than our circumstances, and that strength comes from Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Getting back into into your particular story, have you ever had an opportunity uh, to meet your biological mother? You know, I have not. I searched for her years ago. Um, in fact, this is probably now, let's see here, 15 years ago, almost 15 years ago, and I didn't get any response. I mean, they actually held the case open longer, just waiting for a response. And so there was none. So I don't even know if she's alive, but I did search for her. And at this point, I've never met her, but I'm so hopeful that one day that I will just, all I want to do is thank her. That's it. I just, it seems so simple to some people, but I just want to thank her. In, uh, in your presentation, and again, I'm, I'm going to kind of revisit a few things just because I found your story and just the visual of your story uh, so compelling. Um, the Bombergers. Explain a little bit more about, because you were the first adopted child, correct? Yes. So and it obviously little, went well, so they can right. <laughs> So ex- explain a little bit about uh, about your mom and your dad, and, and you had an interesting way of describing uh, your three siblings. Oh, the homemade ones? Yes, the homemade ones. <laughs> I mean, my my parents... My parents knew that they wanted to adopt before they even got married. In fact, my mom knew it from the young age of five. And so to understand, you know, there's, there's always motivation for the, you know, the things that we do in life. And people often ask, well, what inspired your parents or what influenced them to adopt? And I often say it was my mom's own brokenness. So she was placed in a children's home for a year. And so during that entire year's time, while her parents were separating, and she had an alcoholic father, she grew up in, in a really broken, dysfunctional home, uh, although her mom loved the Lord, her mom was, was solid, but the, the father was not. So she was placed in this children's home, and for a year's time, the five-year-old just was so impacted by seeing that another little girl who had physical disabilities was never visited at all by anybody, and yet... My mom was separately by her parents, but this little girl had no one to come love her, to come hug her, to come hold her, no one at all. And that broke a five-year-old's heart. And so my mom, as she tells the story, she just got down on her knees one night and just said, pray to God, help me be a mommy to those who don't have one. So that's really where the heart of adoption came from. And so, you know, in the natural and the supernatural, adoption happens to to take things from, from brokenness to wholeness. And so my dad obviously shared that same heart. And so, you know, they had talked about adopting long before they got married. And so they had three biologically related children, Dory, Corinne, and Todd, my, my three, three of my siblings. And then along came me at the age of six weeks. And, you know, I'm, I'm brown, they're white, and there was all kinds of resistance, even from my dad's parents. They, they resisted the idea of adopting a black child. And yet my mom describes the moment they first held me, 
the first night that I, I, I came into the family. Um, it was never questioned. My grandparents never questioned it. They loved all of us the same, all the adopted children the same as their biological grandchildren. And so it really was a struggle, though. Some people in the community never really came around. My, my mom's dad never came around. In fact, he disowned her. As I, I told you know, told you in that banquet, my, my mom literally had to lose a father in order to gain a son. Because the moment they adopted me, he wanted nothing to do with the Bomberger family. And so he had nothing to do with us for the rest of our lives. He missed out on 13 amazing grandchildren. Of course, he missed out on his own daughter's life. But sometimes there's sacrifice that's required. And as a parent, we sacrifice all the time. You just never think that you have to give up your parent in order to love a child. But that's exactly what happened. That's amazing. Let's get into uh, the Radiance Foundation, how it started, what motivated you and your wife, Bethany, uh, to take this venture of faith, and and then specifically what it is that you guys do. Sure. Well, it was definitely a venture of faith. I mean, these are the kinds of things where you, you recall the story of, you know, Peter getting out of the boat, you know, during a storm. I think we kind of underestimate that courageous decision. He could have stayed in the boat and kept, you know, taking buckets full of water and trying to get the water out of the boat, or he could have revolutionized the way that he saw Christ and revolutionized the way that he saw faith and step out. And so pe- people thought we were out of our minds. I mean, at the time, my wife was a full-time teacher. She had taught for 13 years in public school, private school. I worked as a creative director working in ad agencies and, you know, the thought was you have your nine-to-five job. What in the world, why would you leave the security and the stability of all that? But my, my wife had already made a decision when we got married that she was going to be the, the stay-at-home mom, which we all know is a misnomer, of course. But she wanted to really just pour into Ray Ray, our, our only child at the time. And so I took on the full-time job. But then we felt led to starting this organization because we felt like Christians especially – were fearful engaging and engaging in these tough conversations about cultural issues, about social issues, and ill-equipped. And so we just combined Bethany's educational background, her passion for education, and the, the creativity and the, the tons of research that I do. And we wanted to tackle these tough issues, you know, abortion, adoption, fatherlessness, poverty, LGBT activism, judicial activism, free speech, religious liberty, all these issues, family issues, all in the context of God-given purpose. And so 10 years ago, uh, I left my full-time job as even certain, some family members said, you're crazy. Why are you going to start a nonprofit? The economy is horrible. Why would you do that? God. <laughs> uh, right. One answer, God. <laughs> so we felt called and we knew that we were called and it was terrifying. I mean, it, it's a terrifying thing to leave what you know and step out into the complete unknown. We knew nothing about nonprofit work, but we knew what we were called to do. We knew what we were passionate about. We're passionate about, you know, talking about the human condition and talking about how people can play a role in, in human triumph. And so we started this thing, this 501c3. It was terrifying. We did all the paperwork. We finally got the paperwork, you know, approved and all the confirmation from the IRS. And then the real work started. And so we were trying to figure out what does the Radiance Foundation do? And so, of course, that was all figured out in the paperwork. And, and part of it was illuminating the issue of abortion. And so the first campaign that we tackled, the first issue that we tackled was abortion and abortion in the black community. And so Radiance Foundation was birthed in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where we lived at the time. And so you combine race and abortion in the South. Let me just say it was, it was kind of explosive, just a little. I mean, and we were Northerners. My wife's from New York City. Her whole family's from New York City. I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. In the South, where sometimes it feels like the Civil War just ended yesterday, and then you, you take these two volatile issues and you, you shine a light on it. And it was, it was crazy. Media frenzy, New York Times, USA Today, CNN, ABC News, the, the whole, I mean, online news from HuffPost to Charisma to Jet Magazine. It was probably at that time the most, in fact, probably still the most covered pro-life billboard campaign 
uh, ever released. And so it was our TooManyAborted.com initiative that highlighted the hugely disproportionate impact of abortion in the black community. And it was a, it was a quick learning time for us <laughs> to realize mainstream media doesn't have any interest in, in telling the truth. They have no interest in objectivity. They tried in every way possible to demonize me, um, but yet the truth got out there. It was, it was crazy. They were trying, how do you demonize someone? He, he's brown and, and he's adopted and he's an adoptive father. We, we can't demonize him. So we'll just cut him out of the entire story about the campaign that he created, which is what NPR did on their show, All Things Considered. Apparently they didn't consider the guy who actually created and launched the campaign. So in a three and a half minute piece on our TooManyAborted.com billboard campaign, they don't mention me. We're going to get into some of that because I find it fascinating. But I, I want to get to a term that you coined, and it's the term I love it. I had never heard it before, but it's factivism. You even list in your in your bio that you're a factivist. Can you explain what that means and why it's important? You know, I'm a creative person by nature, but I I love data. I love trying to figure out how do you present this in a way that's digestible and that people just don't fall asleep or turn away in two seconds. It's not easy to get across the facts. But having worked in inner city outreaches nearly all my adult life, I have seen activism in so many different forms. And I praise people who get off their butts and actually do something about things that are wrong. But the problem is there's way too much activism, which relies solely on emotions. It really does. We see the, the, the consequences of that, the detrimental consequences of that. So my passion is, is factivism. You know, don't act without the facts. And so that's why I consider myself a factivist. I, I want to know the context of what's going on. I want to convey that context to others. I want to bring clarity to these situations that we see so mired in just emotion and anger and hurt that people aren't even seeing, okay, what's really going on? And so that's why, you know, we have the slogan, less activism, more factivism. Speaking of the facts, then, what are the raw data concerning abortion in America? The facts. The facts are that abortion kills an innocent human life. And in America, the, the last reported year, 926,200 innocent human lives. And it doesn't just stop at the unborn human life, of course. We're talking about hundreds of women who have been killed since Roe. Uh, over 400, and they're only the documented ones, by the way, who have been killed because of botched abortions. We're talking about, in the black community, uh, one of the reasons why we launched TooManyAborted.com, where abortion rates are up to five times higher than the majority population. And so, you know, abortion's the, the leading killer in the black community. It outnumbers the top 15 causes of death combined. So there are just, there's so many things. And in New York City is where Planned Parenthood, for those who don't know, Planned Parenthood, the, the nation's leading abortion uh, chain, that's New York City is where Planned Parenthood was, was birthed. In New York City, for the past several decades, more black babies have been aborted than born alive. So in one of the last reported years, in 2014, for every 1,000 born alive, 1,101 black babies were aborted. And so this is why we, we do campaigns like this, to highlight the demographic that's hit hardest, to, to talk about how abortion impacts all of us. I mean, there are so many statistics related to this. I mean, in the black community, you're talking 259,336 uh, abortions. And yet people want to say, you know, police brutality, that's the civil rights issue of our day. I'm not diminishing those lives that have been killed by police who've acted outside of their authority or acted unjustly. That does happen. But even if you consider all homicides in the black community, that's 7,903 homicides. But you're talking 260,000 abortions, needless violence of unarmed black lives. So these are just some of the things that we, that we highlight. I mean, nationwide, abortion outnumbers heart disease deaths. It outnumbers cancer deaths. It is the leading killer, period, nationwide, regardless of hue, regardless of background. How does Planned Parenthood make a living distorting the facts? Because they, they don't like a factivist. No, they, they don't like factivists, but they love them some activists. And that's what they are. Planned Parenthood supporters and lobbyists, they're all activists, even the, the medical, so-called medical professionals that work for them, including the new president of Planned Parenthood, Dr. Lena Wen, who is an ER physician by training. She's only the second doctor to, to head Planned Parenthood since its beginnings. Um, 
she it's interesting on CBS News she was asked by the 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 anchors I would love to call them journalists but I can't because that's a title <laughs> not, not worthy of because that would that would uh, presume that they're actually reporting objectively and they don't but they asked her why why did you become the president of Planned Parenthood and she said the birth of my son inspired me to become the president I'm like what kind of twisted sort of mindset says the birth of your son led you to become the president of an organization that kills 330,000 other children like her son, Eli. Um, but she had said, and she, I almost, I wanted to laugh, but it was so tragic. She said, I'm not an activist. This is what Dr. Lena Wen said. I'm not an activist. I'm a physician. Well, she repeats the same lies that Planned Parenthood has been putting out there for the longest time. Uh, the previous president, Cecile Richards, I mean, she brought Planned Parenthood to such political prominence. But why are they so successful? Because lies are easier. You don't have, you can say whatever you want and have nothing to back it up. You can say whatever you want and incite all kinds of emotions and never be the one to clean up the mess. Let's get into one in particular. Planned Parenthood claims that abortion services, and you've heard this, that it only accounts for a small percentage of the overall women's health care it provides. Is that true, or can you provide some clarity to that claim? I mean, that is, it, it's not true at all. I mean, there are plenty of examples where even the Washington Post dismissed that whole thing that abortion is only 3% of their services. It's a lie. It is their main uh, activity that they commit I don't even like calling it a service because it diminishes it. It's violence against the unborn. It's violence against women. But you're talking 332,757 unborn children killed. It is their main revenue generator. If you look in their annual report, in fact, we have a great uh, website to actually, that looks at these services. It's radiance.life slash less care. And on that, you see that 69% of their health services revenue, that's all the money they make for providing all these health services, 69% of that is from abortion. And that's, that's a low estimate um, as far as the, the amount that they make. It's about $250 million, $254 million they make from abortions. So they can save 3% of their services all they want, but abortion's the only service that generates that kind of revenue. That's why all the other services, the major medical services to women, have been plummeting for over 10 years. Breast cancer screening is down 65%. Pap test down 72%. Prenatal care barely even exists because it doesn't make them any money. It's 0.1% of their services. So these are just some of the facts. And mainstream media never talks about this. They say, well, abortion is only 3% of their services. Look at everything else they do. But then they don't ever actually look at everything else they do at least from a statistical standpoint, because they would see, wait a minute, why is this billion-dollar organization that's getting half a billion taxpayer dollars a year, why are they getting these taxpayer dollars, and why are these major medical services plummeting? With the two and a half minutes we have left in this block, why do you think a governmental dynamic where the GOP held control of the House, Senate, and presidency still failed to defund Planned Parenthood? I think they were looking for a spine replacement from their Obamacare plan or something. I don't, even, I don't even understand. The GOP, when it's in control, has failed on so many levels to change things like this, to be able to defund Planned Parenthood, to be able to pass amendment, you know, to banning abortion. It's inexplicable. I mean, it, it's a spinelessness because, quite honestly, Democrats get things done. Now, I'm not in favor of the things that are getting done, yeah, but they get right. things done. There's no excuse for the GOP to not have defunded a major funder of the Democrat Party, of pro-abortion Democrats. It makes no sense. I mean, I will say that President Trump has done more than any previous president on issues of abortion. His policy actions, his executive orders, his defunding of $60 million of Title X funding to Planned Parenthood, he's done more than even President Reagan did as far as pro-life initiatives and pro-life actions. But the GOP as a party, although they keep passing these bills in the House, the GOP uh, Senate has not come through. And so we still have a $2 billion organization siphoning off over $560 million from taxpayers and failing on every level when it comes to true health care. There's so much that I want to talk about, so much that I want to get into. Um, I do want to just give you an opportunity 
Can you explain uh, how people can learn more about your organ- your organization? Absolutely. They can go online and find the Radiance Foundation at www.radiance.life. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we're currently banned on Twitter, so they're not going to find us right now because it's at <laughs> Life Has Purpose, but Twitter has banned us, and we're fighting that. But um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and definitely Radiance.life. And you can also get uh, text information, right? There's a, a mechanism you that? absolutely can. You can text get the facts to two one zero zero zero. That's get the facts to two one zero zero zero, and you will get frequent text, but you will get text every now and then that just kind of points you to some really significant news or things that we're doing through the Ratings Foundation. Well, we are running against a hard break. Uh, Ryan's going to stay with us. We'll continue this conversation. Uh, a wonderful interview, just hearing about the Radiance Foundation. What a cool organization. Christians, brothers and sisters on the front lines, uh, championing life, engaging culture, uh, factivism. What a wonderful, cool concept. Lots more questions. Uh, we'll continue this conversation. If you're unable to stay with us, check out our website, outlawradio.org. Um, and the reason I emphasize that is that you can easily access our podcast. Our podcast is available on iTunes and Google Play. So if you can't continue uh, with part two of this interview, you can obviously go to the website and follow along. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of the Outlaw Radio Show. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe, yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Join us for part two with Pastor Zach Adams and Ryan Bomberger. For the whole month of August, we'll be featuring the topic of abortion here on Outlaw Radio. Here's Zach and special guest Ryan Bomberger. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm joined with Ryan Bomberger, who is the head of the Radiance Foundation, an important organization doing great Christian work, challenging the status quo. Ryan, you talk about, uh, you have a talk where you address, quote, the plan inherent in what we often called the unplanned the unplanned pregnancy. Can you take a few minutes and unpack that important concept to the audience? And why why does a pro-choice movement end up so monolithic by downplaying the other choice, which is adoption? All the time. I mean, I'm a firm believer that there's always a, a plan in the unplanned. It's actually in the word itself. And people forget that most life is unplanned. I mean, just outside of the the issue of reproduction, most of life is unplanned. It's okay that this is a solvable issue, but yet you have a mentality that is put out there, of course, by the abortion industry that any life that is unintended is going to be unwanted and it's going to be unloved, and that's a lie. Someone who was who was adopted, who was adopted. Many years ago, in fact, my birthday was just a few days ago, but many years ago, I, I know that this whole myth of the unwanted child. It's very powerful because the only way to justify violence against innocent human lives is you have to dehumanize them. And that's what the, I hate even saying, using this word, the the pro-choice movement, I put that in quotes, because it really is pro-abortion. I mean, let's say what it is, they are for abortion. I mean, it would be like those who were for slavery saying, hey, we're pro-jobs. What? You're (laughs) pro-slavery. Let's use the right language. But they don't want to use the right language, and, and yet they demonize. They, they want to say, well, pro-choice. Well, then shouldn't every choice be the same? 
and and not that violence should ever be a choice, but they they're always demonizing the parenting. You can't do this. They're telling women you can't do this. You're not strong enough. Uh, adoption. That's a that's a horrible thing. It's a painful. In fact, Planned Parenthood specifically says that women who choose adoption will experience lifelong grief and deep psychological effects. But women who abort, no. I mean, some may initially have, have some sort of struggle with it, but, but most women, as they say, they say assimilate to uh, the abortion, which basically means they just adopt it. As, that's just been part of the life. It's no big deal. But see, this is what they do. They demonize adoption, one of the only two alternatives to the violence of abortion, because they don't hold these choices as equal. And so as someone who is adopted, as someone who is an adoptive father, I have four kiddos, two of my awesome kiddos are, are adopted as well. And so I'm passionate about the adoption option. I'm passionate. For, my wife and I are passionate for birth moms. We have an outreach called Sally's Lambs. That is an outreach to birth moms who choose adoption over abortion, helping them financially, helping them emotionally, helping them connect with local resources. They're often the forgotten ones, but Planned Parenthood sees women as transactions they see it, you know, the whole engagement as transactional, whereas the pregnancy centers that we support, pregnancy centers that help women through their unplanned pregnancies, they see transformation. They, they play a role in transformation. So there's just, there's a whole different perspective of those who are pro-life, the way they see unplanned pregnancies, and those who are pro-abortion and the way that they see pregnancy. And we're, we're on the side of, you know, those who yeah. believe that women are strong enough and that every life matters, the mother, the father, and the child, born and unborn. One of the passions of your foundation, and you, you've already mentioned this, is raising awareness as to how abortion has had a larger effect on black communities in particular. You shared some of the data on this. But the question I have is why do you think organizations like Planned Parenthood specifically target minority communities? Is there a motivation for this? Well, the motivation, first and foremost, is money. I mean, that's what they're motivated by. It's, it's not out of altruism. It's not out of, out of love. It's not out of human rights. It's not out of women's rights. It is money. Planned Parenthood has $2 billion in assets. They bring in over $1.4 billion. They're a nonprofit. They're a 501c3, by the way, for people who don't know. Uh, they're a nonprofit that you know, made usually year over year, $70 million in, in profit, $80 million. I think this most recent year is about 90, over $90 million. They know their target demographic. And this is only understood if you look at the history of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood was birthed out of the same warped, vile, racist worldview, the pseudoscience called eugenics. The same vile worldview that birthed the Holocaust birthed Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood knew that there were, I mean, they deemed certain people as unworthy of life, and so they had all these different categories. They had you know, those who were unmarried, they had those who were in, in prison, they had those who had physical disabilities, those who were feeble-minded, putting that in quotes, which included a large swath of people, according to Planned Parenthood. And then they had the poor uh, communities, and they disproportionately targeted the black community. In fact, one of their first initiatives was called the Negro Project, and that was a project to convince through, through influential African-American leaders, convinced the black community that birth control would, severe, would eliminate poverty. But the aim of it was to severely reduce or eliminate the birth rate of poor blacks. That initiative, although it failed because birth control has never reduced poverty, that initiative has really never ended. Planned Parenthood operates in that exact same mode. I mean, their founder, Margaret Sanger, was a eugenicist. She was a racist, and people try to deny that. <laughs> They tried to say that, well, everyone was a racist back then. No, everyone was not a racist back in, the, back in the early part of the 20th century. And she died a year before Martin Luther King Jr. So, no, not everyone was a racist. Not everyone was giving speeches to the KKK. Um, but yet the woman that Planned Parenthood still celebrates today, that woman created a DNA in Planned Parenthood that has never changed. And to this day, they disproportionately target the black community. You see it. I mean, they have... You know, they, they tweet things like, black women, um, you're better off aborting your child than to go through pregnancy. What? This is the kind of stuff that they get away with saying. Now, if President Trump tweeted something like that, you know, you'd have cries of white supremacy and you know, racism. But because Planned Parenthood is saying, black women, you're better off aborting your child than to have to go through the entire pregnancy. 
I mean, it's, it's just more of the same pseudoscience. So it's never ended. The 79% of Planned Parenthood's abortion facilities, surgical facilities, 79% are located in black and Hispanic neighborhoods within walking distance. This is by historical design. It's never changed. What's the connection, and you wrote an article about this, between the NAACP and Planned Parenthood? And then I'll, I'll piggyback off of that by also asking, why do you think the larger African-American church movement seems to be so beholden to abortion in the Democratic Party? Spiritual blindness. I mean, there's so much. I, I was so naive when we first started this because I thought, well, if people just see the facts, they just see the truth, and then, of course, we fuse these with personal stories, of course they're going to be awakened. Well, there's a spiritual dynamic to this that, that causes blindness that sometimes is so incomprehensible. Like, for instance, the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which, by the way, we are all colored people, so no one's <laughs> transparent. But anyway, the NAACP, I thought they would be on our side. And so when we did one of our Too Many Aborted.com billboard campaigns, we launched it in L.A. And so we had Black and Beautiful, Too Many Aborted.com. And the NAACP called our campaign horribly racist. Now, remember, people, I am also black. I'm brown, whatever you want to call me, uh, mocha. But I could not believe that the NAACP was denouncing our campaign. Not only did they say it was horribly racist, they said it uh, gave the false impression that Planned Parenthood kills black babies. What in the world? They kill black babies and white babies and every hue in between. Over 330,000 every year. And so I was, I, I was so thrown by that, by that accusation. I mean, we were denouncing that same campaign by Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, which, you know, felt good. Um, you know, that's expected. But to be denounced by the NAACP. So I decided to write an article and deeply researched where is the NAACP on these issues? Where are they when it comes to Planned Parenthood? And I found they passed resolutions supporting uh, a woman's right to choose abortion uh, as a result of the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. That was their first foray into abortion advocacy. Every year they have a convention. The NAACP, it's a multi-million dollar convention. Planned Parenthood was one of their annual corporate sponsors. And so I'm looking at all these documentation from their own website, by the way. And so I wrote an article about the NAACP, and I called it the National Association for the Abortion of Colored People. And uh, they sued me, and they sued the Radiance Foundation um, for being factual, but the irony that a civil rights organization was suing a brown guy for exercising one of my most basic civil rights, free speech. So two years in federal court as the NAACP denied that they had ever taken a position on abortion, even though they, they have in their own documentation passing resolutions supporting abortion, despite the fact that Planned Parenthood was their annual corporate sponsor, despite the fact that their president at the time that they were suing us, Benjamin Jealous, their president was the keynote speaker at a Planned Parenthood benefit dinner. That was a thousand dollar a plate um, dinner, and the thousand dollar a plate dinner was is called the Margaret Sanger Circle Ticket. So here they're denying in court that they've ever taken a position on abortion. I write an article calling them out, and anyway, two years in federal court, we were defended by Alliance Defending Freedom. I love ADF; they're an amazing organization. We won. So we want a free speech case against the NAACP, and to this day, the NAACP and nearly every other leftist civil rights group defends Planned Parenthood to the end, and there's no denying it. I mean, they've signed on to letters defending Planned Parenthood. They fought the defunding of Planned Parenthood. They stand in solidarity with Planned Parenthood. So on one hand, they're saying Black Lives Matter, and on the other, they are partnering with the leading killer of Black Lives. That's heavy. That's heavy. Really heavy. Do you think that there is an actual chance for Roe to be overturned? And do you think that that's ultimately the, the remedy? What's the remedy to this problem? Well, the, well, the remedy is something beyond legal. I mean, the re it's a spiritual issue. And so there's a lot that has to happen. But just as with slavery, I mean, when the, thir when the Reconstruction Amendments were passed, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, I mean, it wasn't like all of a sudden there was this, this heart change society-wide, it took a long time. So it's, it's that kind of heart surgery that has to happen, but the law has to change. And unfortunately, Roe is not even a law. It was a, a, a horrible, unconstitutional ruling um, that actually in, invoked 
the Fourteenth Amendment, the very one that gave people of my complexion, you know, our, our humanity. <laughs> I put that in quotes because no judge actually gives anybody their humanity. God gives it to us. Um, and so anyway, you, you have Roe v. Wade that needs to be overturned. It's not just Roe, it's actually Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, two rulings that happened on the same day that allowed abortion through the entire pregnancy, including partial birth abortion. Um, that's why it took the partial birth can say this fast, Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act uh, to be signed um, because Roe and Doe allowed that. But yeah, we, we need a Supreme Court that will overturn that. And then we need to keep doing the work that we're doing now. That's why you have you know, 3,000 pregnancy centers that care for mother and child. That's why you have 400 plus maternity homes that aren't run by Planned Parenthood or other pro-abortion organizations. They're run by pro-lifers. It's why the church needs to rise up I mean, the reason why we have abortion on demand and now you have the left, the Democrat Party, that is pushing for limitless abortion, including infanticide, once a child is born, allowing that child to die if that child isn't suitable if, or if you know, the mother or the doctor decides, no, we're not going to keep that child alive. I mean, limitless abortion, it is so radical. But if the church doesn't become a little radical, which is what Christianity is, it is a radical worldview that says we are created in the image of God, and no one has the right to take that life away. That's God. He comes to give life. He is the only one that should be taking it away, not, not us. Amen. Amen. So there's there, the legal aspect. Yes, there needs to be an overturning, and is it likely? I mean, all things are possible. I mean, uh, this is what we're working toward for the Raiders Foundation with our colleagues. We are working toward the day that abortion is abolished. But we're going to continue to do the, the life-changing, life-affirming work through our pregnancy centers, through our maternity homes, through other outreaches that show that every human life has equal and irrevocable worth. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out C316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but C316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. With over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Your account, you mentioned this before, at Life Has Purpose, was recently shut down on Twitter. Why did they lock you out of your account, and what steps have you taken to appeal that decision? Well, Twitter apparently doesn't like facts at all. In fact, they always talk about, I love this, big tech is always talking about how you need to treat everybody equally, you know, equality, equality, yet they don't treat Christians and conservatives equally on their platform at all. In fact, I call it Jim Crow 2.0, because there is a separate and unequal treatment of those whose worldview does not align with Twitter or with Facebook or Facebook's Instagram or with Google. Um, yeah, we were, we were suspended because we responded to Representative Ellen Omar's ridiculous assertion that 9-11 was, was simply, quote, some people did something, hmm. unquote. And so our tweet denounced terrorism and talked about how you know, lives were lost um, because of, of Islamic terrorism, but apparently you cannot say Islamic terrorism because those terrorists were not Islamic. They weren't. I mean, ISIS apparently didn't attack two churches in Sri Lanka. So, I mean, we are not allowed to say Islamic terrorism. We're not allowed to say what it is. It's not to say that all Muslims are terrorists. That's not at all what we were saying. In fact, we, we have dear friends who are Muslim. That's not the point. The point is Twitter is now getting to determine or getting to decide what is truthful they're also expanding how, what they define as hate. In fact, they said our account was suspended because of hateful conduct. I would think that the terrorism is what they would deem as hateful conduct, <laughs> not a tweet denouncing terrorism. And so, yes, that's what's gotten us in hot water with Twitter. But it, it's terrifying because big tech, um, mainstream media, they are all deciding that certain speech is now hate speech. They've even deemed pro-life speech as hate speech. 
we are on the cusp of them silencing all voices that that challenge a a far left worldview. It, it, it's a it's a scary thing right now because free speech is in serious danger. I, I would say I'd even go a step further than that by saying if you hold to a a traditional fundamental biblical belief on sex, marriage, or gender, that's that's going to be cause for you to be removed from all social media. I mean, all that, all that. I mean, there you, you can't speak against the the god of LGBTism. I mean, it's these these titans of tolerance have no tolerance for anyone who would dare to counter a a secular worldview, which is in itself a religion. But yeah, Christianity in all of its respects, especially the way that sees you know that we're created in the image of God, that we're created male and female. There's no denying reading scripture and and finding that they're they're not 38 or 52 other genders, but um. That worldview being expressed through these platforms is in serious danger. The few minutes that we have left, what's on the horizon for the Bombergers and the Radiance Foundation? What do you have cooking? We have so many things uh, that we're working on. We have new billboard campaigns that we can't wait to launch. We have a new initiative that helps teach a pro-life uh, worldview to children because the other side understands they get children young. And so we are so excited about it. I can't name the initiative, but it's, it's going to be launched this summer, and we're really excited. We have four children ages 8 through 14, and we understand that that, that worldview of, of having a well-examined faith doesn't start when they're in college. That's when, that's when they try to dismantle it. Um, actually, they're trying to dismantle it now in kindergarten. But as homeschooling parents, we we see this desperate need in our children and in so many other children. So we're really excited about this initiative in teaching young people what it means to be pro-life. And, of course, it's age-appropriate. But um, we have that, and we're working with Alliance Defending Freedom on a number of initiatives because we have some serious issues and serious cases going to the Supreme Court uh, regarding religious liberty. Uh, adoption, faith-based adoption agencies are being shut down by the ACLU and Lambda Legal, and we're working with a coalition of organizations on that. So there's, there's a lot that we're doing. And, of course, we, we, help, we continue to help raise millions for pregnancy centers. Uh, we do about 60 keynote events, multimedia keynote events a year. Uh, for pregnancy centers, for right-to-life groups, and we speak on 10 to 15 college campuses a year as well. So there's a lot that we're doing, yeah. and we're most excited about this initiative to help train up young kids to understand what it means to have value, an irrevocable value that's given to them, not by man, woman, or government, but by a much higher court, <laughs> you could say, yeah. um, by the God of heaven. And so we're we're really excited about just expanding our life-affirming creative work. I'm going to ask, just kind of as an audience member myself, listening to you talk, listening to your passion and your vision, um, the what God has equipped you and called you to do, if someone's listening to this and they're moved and they're like, I want to, I want to get behind this guy, I want to help, what, what can the audience do to help you guys and the important work that, that Jesus has given you to accomplish? First and foremost, pray. First and last, pray. <laughs> I mean, that's really what we need because we go into some, some hostile situations. So we really covet that, uh, that aspect. Pray for us. Go to radiance.life and see the work that we're doing, see what we're up to. You can financially support us. Uh, you can send us letters of encouragement because that always <laughs> helps, especially after you know, getting a barrage of, of hate from, from certain folks. But there are lots of ways you can support us. Go on Facebook, Instagram, uh, as I mentioned, radiance.life and see what we're, what we're currently working on and find out ways that you can, can support us. But we really, really are passionate about having intercessors pray for us because there is so much to battle. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Zach. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show again. Just so thankful that Ryan took time out of his busy schedule to join us. Hopefully you found uh, this interview engaging and interesting, and hopefully it spawns you to get involved in this important social debate that we're having. A um, couple things as we wrap up the show. I want to encourage you to contact your local Christian radio station. Tell them that you're thankful they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. Secondly, go to our website, outlawradio.org. From the site, you can access our podcast, which is available on iTunes. Google Play. You can listen again to this episode its entirety, all previous episodes. You can share, like, pass along to your friends. Also, let's connect. Twitter, at Radio underscore Outlaw. Our email, info at outlawradio.org, or facebook.com slash the Radio Outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. 
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.